Football MX Network production. Josie's on a vacation far away. Come around and talk it over. So many things that I want to say. A new view from inside the truck. X racer to racer and eye to eye. A casual look into the personalities of the sport and an experienced perspective into the action from week to week. It's Jason Thomas's Industry Seating. Presented by Pirelli Tires, Fly Racing, Blends All Racing Motor Oil, Works Connection, Plum Creek Funding, 612 Suspension, Fast Foundry, and Pro Glow. Welcome to Industry Seating. I'm your host, Jason Thomas. It is Sunday, January 24th, and we are three rounds through the 2021 Monster Energy Supercross season. Just got back to Boise today. I've been in Houston for, I don't know, 10 days or whatever. Many of you have been following along the trials and tribulations of Steve Mathis and myself and Jason Wygant, all living together in peace and harmony. And that is not the case. Honestly, though, it was a great time. And you guys know how Steve is. He plays these things up, kind of creates drama where there's really not any drama, but it was all in fun. We had a great time. And, um, yeah, I mean, I had to work, so they were at home working a lot and Weege would kind of walk himself in this office that the house had. Steve would be in this other den where he could watch old races and uh, ridiculously old hockey games. And then I would be out doing my real job, being out at the dealers. But there were times at night and and obviously on race days and all that stuff where we just got to hang out and that was a great time. Definitely want to thank uh, Thomas Victor, uh, the former owner of Infab, founder of Infab for his hospitality. We recorded all of our podcasts and Pulp MX show and fantasy podcasts and all the things that we do over at his house at the Garage Mahal which many of you got to see through videos and, and uh, some of the things that Weege posted. And the thing, the place is just unbelievable. Uh, congrats to him on all his success and what an unbelievable place to live and all the toys he has. But anyway, let's jump into, uh, let's jump into this race. I do want to thank the sponsors of this podcast, Pirelli Tires, of course. And if you look at the results, hey, Pirelli Tires got a podium. Justin Brayton on Tuesday got on the podium. What a ride from him. And it's just further evidence of the improvements and the steps forward that Pirelli Tires is making. Obviously, we know their success in Europe, but I think I still think in Supercross there's this misconception that they haven't really reached the level that they need to be on. And, and I disagree. I I think the uh, the success that Justin Brayton's had, the great starts, which I've always been big on the uh, straight line drivability of Pirelli Tires, and we're seeing that from their starting prowess, uh, at the first three rounds. So congrats to Pirelli tires and the, uh, the podium there. That was a, a big, big day for them. And of course, uh, the Muckoff Honda team using Pirelli as well. Mitchell Oldenburg had a tough round at round two, but I think, uh, I think he'll bounce back just fine. Plum Creek funding, the presenting sponsor of this podcast. Want to thank them and Zach Morris for reaching out. And I know I've been preaching at you guys about this, but if you have not looked into saving money on a refi, or if you're looking to buy, now is the time. It's not a coincidence that there are record refis going on. This is the lowest 
mortgage interest rates that we've ever seen in the history of America. That's a great opportunity for all of us. And I know I keep saying that over and over, but I don't want you guys to miss out on our opportunity. And I know that Zach can help you all. Steve Mathis just refied his primary residence and his rental property that he used the studio used to be in. I've spent lots of time in both of those residences. So I'm glad to see him make that move and save himself a ton of money. I think he saved himself six figures uh, over the course of his loans on those two properties. So good for him. I want to thank Fast Foundry. Many of you heard the interview with Robert Carrico last week and uh, all the great ways that Fast Foundry may be able to help your business. We have a brand new sponsor for this week, Guts Racing. I'm working with Andy Gregg and the guys over there. I will get you more information on that. But if you're looking for any sort of seat cover or anything that Guts Racing may be able to help you on, check out GutsRacing.com. And I we will be a, doing an interview with Guts Racing. And he's uh, preparing a commercial to get you more information on all of the great products that Guts Racing has to offer. So you'll be hearing much more about that. Works Connection. Promo code JT21 will save you a ton of money at checkout, worksconnection.com, at worksconnection on Instagram, blendzall.com for all of your oil needs. Those guys are back and better than ever. They're in all kinds of podcasts now. They're on Steve Mathis's shows now and all kinds of places. And, and I like, it's like I'm watching a, a, uh, a baby kind of take its first steps. It's all over the place now. And, and, you know, I was, uh, kind of in on the entry level with Blenzol and to see them jumping on all these other programs with Daniel Blair and MX Vice now. Uh, it's fun to see them kind of spreading their wings a bit. Risk Racing, JT dollar sign is the promo code there to save you some money. A couple weeks ago, we did an interview with uh, James and the crew over at Risk Racing. So go to riskracing.com, go to at Risk Racing on social media, see all the great products they have to offer. Premier Vapor Blasting, mention the podcast to get yourself a discount. 612 suspension. Mention the podcast to get yourself a discount. It's 20% off parts and labor. They are a race tech affiliate. Grant Stone Boots, Pro Glow Wash. The code there is Moto15 and of course Fly Racing. Sorry to dump all those sponsors on you at the beginning, but it is a very important part. So as for the racing, let's talk 250s a little bit first. Now we lost a couple guys. Forkner's out, RJ's out two separate crashes. And, and it's funny because they were the big topic of conversation leaving the Tuesday round. Forkner went in and basically just cleaned RJ out and, you know, cost himself a bunch of points in the process. And then there was some strange comments made in the press release. And then the, the press conferences, there were, ser- you know, clearly some hard feelings and that was going to be an interesting dynamic to watch play out. Maybe we'll get some of that later on, but for now we're going to miss out because it sounds like Austin Forkner has a broken collarbone, and it sounds like RJ Hampshire has a broken hand. I'm sure we'll get some definitive news on both of those, but they both missed the race, and their championship hopes are dashed, which is a bummer because we were already dealing with a pretty shallow series. There's just not a lot of talent outside of the top seven or eight, and I don't mean that in a, in a demeaning way. I just mean once you get outside of the factory, guys, the, the level drops off pretty significantly, and if, if you're looking for evidence of that, the guys this weekend lapped up to the top 12, they were two laps down. That, that's crazy. That doesn't happen very often. Uh, to be two laps down into the top 12 is just, that's wild. And it's just indicative of the situation of the series that we're in. Just have a, a very thin field. We'll see what the West Coast, West Coast guys have. I don't think it's going to be a crazy amount deeper. It could be a little bit. Maybe we'll be able to avoid some injuries. But, man, 
I've heard some calls for these series being combined and just speculation, not by anybody that, you know, has the ability to do anything like that. But when you really start looking at the talent levels, it's not that far off from looking at, man, we would have, you know, 20 ish really solid guys in one national 250 class. So never say never. I don't expect it anytime soon. There would be a lot of privateers that would never have a chance really to make main events. And there would be a lot of downside to that. But, um, yeah, when you really look at it in a vacuum, as Steve Matthews would say, it's not that far-fetched to have just one national 250 class, all the same teams at all the same events, have four riders on each 250 team, and uh, get out there and get after it. So we'll see where it goes, but it's certainly one of the weakest 250 series or coasts that I've ever been around or, or seen anyway. Now, as for the guys left, we have Christian Craig, Joe Lawrence, Colt Nichols, and all three of them, interestingly enough, have won a round of the series. So if you're looking for a storyline, that's it. We have a really wide open series, maybe just not the guys that we all thought would be in it. I, I certainly thought Austin Forkner was the man to beat. I, I've, I'm on record all over the place saying that. And unfortunately, he did things that removed himself from that. Hurt himself clearly this past weekend, but you know, the, the first round was good. It was the second place. In the second round, he goes in and makes an ill-timed or ill-advised, however you want to view it, depending on your viewpoint, a pass on RJ Hampshire, takes them both down, costs himself a ton of points there. And then obviously we know as the aforementioned injury, and now a series is done. So down to three, and I don't really have a favorite at this point. I think all three of them are extremely likely winners of the championship. I think you could make a case for all of them having strengths and weaknesses. You know, I think Jet has just this unbridled confidence being 17 years old, and I, I don't think he really cares or is concerned with anything or anybody like that. And that's a great uh, mental place for him to be. I don't think he's um, intimidated by anything. or And it's one of those things where I think he's so young that he <laughs> sometimes he just doesn't understand the magnitude of uh, you know, winning a championship like this. Then you have Colt Nichols, who's been around. He's led championships before. He's led the 250 West before. Remember him winning that Anaheim one round, and he was really strong that year. And I think he brings some uh, some veteran savvy to this. And it's a guy we really haven't seen many times in this scenario, right? The the one year he was there, but last year wasn't very good. He got hurt and then he came back at the Salt Lake grounds and was pretty good. And then he got hurt again. So it's, it's fun to see Colt Nichols back in the mix when he hasn't been there too many times in his career. So it's a little, little new flavor. And then Christian Craig, I mean, really the last time he was relevant in a series was 2015. You know, he was battling Cooper Webb for West coast dominance. It just hasn't worked out for him as far as main event wins and uh, series points since then. So this is kind of Christian Craig's breakout year. You know, he's been around for a long time. It's crazy to say that. I mean, he's ridden the 450 outdoor series a couple of times now, and he's certainly the most experienced of these guys. But for him to be this good consistently, we haven't seen in a long time. And I know that he's been working with Connor Fields on the mental aspect of the game. And clearly that motorcycle is, is great. It's getting him to the front. It's surely instilled a lot of confidence in him and it just feels like his year. I don't know how this championship's going to go. 
he needs to win and he needs to stay consistent. But these guys are so much better than everybody else. The, the top three guys are clearly the class of the field. So without crashes, I don't know how those guys aren't on the podium all the way through from here on out. And, and these guys crash. That's part of the game. We know that. So just to stamp it and say, there's your podium the rest of the way it would be silly. But if you just took the ability and the skill and the talent, those are your best three head and shoulders above everyone else. So we'll see how this plays out, but I love the fact that we don't have a clear favorite. We had three different winners from the three favorites down the stretch. So that should be an interesting, uh, interesting run. I guess if I had to pick, I think I would go with Christian and I don't really have any compelling evidence as to why, other than I just love his starting ability and man, he has been so confident in qualifying practice and in the heat races. He just looks like he is, is the best of these guys. And Colt Nichols could say, well, I was faster than him in qualifying practice and I won the race this past weekend. And I don't have a real good pushback to that. I'm simply going off the eye test and what I've seen so far. It just, it's felt like Christian Craig was the best rider in this class to date. Uh, so that's kind of where I'm at. I just think Jed is a little bit young. He's going to be the guy in this class. There is no doubt about that, but I don't know that 2021 is going to be his year. I've just seen a few mistakes mentally and physically here and there, big crashes that may catch up to him, you know, at some point in this series and cost him a ton of points. He already had that bad crash at the end, the last lap of the first round that cost him. And I just think that's going to be a factor as it goes on, he's just going to make some mistake that comes down to inexperience and allow uh, either Colt or Christian to walk away with this thing. So good times in that series. And even though with the injuries, we still have a great series to watch. Now let's get into the power rankings. This is what this podcast is all about. And I will start from 10th place and move to number one. Again, there are going to be some guys that maybe don't make a ton of sense, but after three rounds, we have more evidence. So they should be a little bit more based in the results than say like the first round, because the first round I was going off what I saw, who I thought was better than another, not just the one round result. So, you know, a week later we've had three rounds versus one, and I have a lot more evidence to, uh, to draw conclusions from. So at number 10, I have Marvin Muscan. He had a terrible race last night. Just, uh, one, one crash really is what it came down to. He, uh, he crashed, in that wall jump section and went, you know, he, he'd already gotten a bad start, but basically went to last, but I still have him at 10th. You know, he got a, he got a podium there at the first round. He is not doing that well in points. So I could understand some pushback on my power rankings, but just from the riding that I've seen and a podium finish is a, is pretty strong evidence. I also weighed in here because I think that when we go to Indy, we're about to go into three rounds in Indianapolis in, you know, the end of January, beginning of February. And I think you're going to see very difficult and trying conditions. Uh, I think the dirt's going to be wet. You know, this is the earliest in the season that we have ever gone to Indy that I know of. Um, I remember racing Indianapolis mid February, but I, I could not ever recall a time where we were in Indianapolis ever in January. So if, if someone has, um, you know, evidence to tell me that I'm wrong there or, or data that I'm missing, please let me know. But this, this would be the, the most winter of conditions for Indy that I've ever seen. And I think the, uh, I think the track will, will be uh, reflective of that soft, ruddy, difficult. Uh, and I think that 
suits Marvin's skill set. Long story short. So number nine, I have Zach Osborne. Another tough race for him last night. And if you look at his results, it's not been that great. He's gone 10, 10, 8, 10, 10, 9, 10, 10, 8. I don't remember what place he got, but either way, his riding has been much better than that. But I mean, it's easy to say if, if you don't put it on the results column, it doesn't really matter. And, and I get it. Like that's, that's absolutely fair criticism. So we'll see if Zach can put it together. I have to say watching his riding last night, it was, it was a little sloppy. The, the pace was there. He was going fast, but man, he made a lot of mistakes just kind of all over the place. And I thought he almost crashed, you know, he had the one crash and then he almost crashed again. Uh, several times, to be honest, he almost crashed in the whoops once ran over a tough block with both feet off the pegs. I saw him, you know, flying W a couple times through the air. It was honestly a little unnerving to watch, but I know he was just, he was just trying too hard, you know, frustrated and trying to get to the front and the track was breaking down and, uh, yeah, a few big mistakes. So he's going to have to get it together. Um, I mean, he's been in the top 10, all three rounds. If you want some sort of silver lining, he should have been on the podium at round two without a doubt. But again, for a guy who was thinking championship this year, he's given away a lot of points and digging himself a big hole after the first three rounds. Number eight, I have Mookie and Mookie has been solid. You know, I don't know how else to really put it. We haven't seen any real flash from him. And that's been his calling card throughout his whole career is just this, you know, crazy speed. And really last year we saw him tone that down in favor of consistency. And I think that is a good move for him, but I'm still waiting to see him break out, you know, lead a heat race, win a heat race, try to run up front, um, do something that indicates he has the speed to run up front. And we just, like I said, we just have not seen it yet. So nothing wrong with the season. I'm not, I'm definitely not trying to uh, condemn anything he's doing. It's just interesting to see that change in his tendencies. This has just not been the Mookie that we've watched for the last, you know, I don't know, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years of his career. He's always been the guy that's just crazy fast, but crazy inconsistent. And the last year wasn't that. And this year has not been that either. So good for him and being able to fix what I considered a problem because with that crazy speed was what injuries were coming right behind it. And that's, that's a problem. The injuries are a problem. So number eight for Mookie and, uh, yeah, just a little less flash than, you know, maybe some would expect, but maybe it's on purpose. Maybe he's like, you know, if I push that edge, it's going to, end up with me being in the hospital. Maybe he has figured that out with, I'm sure, you know, his teams and his father and everyone's working on making him the best rider he can be. But maybe that's just something they've come to realize is if you don't back it down a few percent, there's no way to sustain this level. And if you ever want to, you know, really make it in this class and be a solid top five guy week in and week out, never think about a championship you've got to find a way to be there at the end of the series. And, and he did that last year. So good for him. I'm um, getting a little long winded on Mookie, but it's just been such an interesting change to see. Number seven, I have Justin Brayton and kind of similar to, um, you know, what Justin's always done, but I, I thought his speed has been better this year. And I don't know if that's due to him being a little fresher because, you know, remember he's, 
generally in January coming off of a very long off season, what we would say typically, but for him, it's, it's kind of on season. He goes to Australia, he goes to Geneva, Switzerland, he goes to uh, Paris supercross. He's all over the place, a similar schedule to what I used to do. And I think he came into the American supercross series, a little tired already, like a little burnout. He had already, you know, gone and won an Australian supercross championship, which was a big, it's a big goal for him, you know, both just professionally and financially, very financially rewarding for him to do that. So I think in many cases, the pressure was off of him when he would roll into Anaheim. And this year, the focus has really only been Anaheim. And and I think you're just seeing him, uh, his results reflect that he's just been a better, a better rider in January than at some other, in some other years, going back to maybe when he was on JGR and before this Australian thing even started. Obviously the second round, that podium was fantastic. I mean, he was able to fend off the likes of Webb and Roxon and all these guys and actually pull back away from them. Um, round three wasn't as good. He was, he was behind Osborne there just at the back of the top 10. Um, not his best race. And I don't know if it was just a bad start or if he struggled with the track breaking down, but Hey, he's been pretty honest in saying that if he doesn't get the start, you're probably not going to see some crazy result out of him. You know, he he's acutely aware and he's able to, uh, correctly, in my opinion, survey the, the situation. He knows that he's older than all these guys and he's not going to be able to go from 12th to fourth. To like that's just not going to happen. But if he starts third, he can find the pace. He can sort out the track and he can, you know, battle inside that top five. Um, and I think that's just the, the age and experience and the wisdom you're seeing when he makes comments like that. He just understands the situation. Number six, Dylan Ferrandis, not a great race at round three. Um, he was kind of in the same boat as, uh, like Brayton Osborne, uh, both of those two where round two, they really jumped off the page, but round three, they got poor starts and their results kind of reflected that. So, um, I think it's been a strong start to the season. Remember he had that, that hand injury. So we were all kind of scratching our heads, wondering what we were going to see in this 20 early in the 21, 21 season. Anyway, I think we all knew he'd get there. I mean, his talent is undeniable. You watch the guy ride and he's just doing some pretty incredible things on the motorcycle, but I didn't, I certainly didn't expect him to get second place at the second round that I, I did not think that was really even in the cards to be honest. So uh, I think he's overperformed somewhat. Um, so great job from him. Nice start to the series. Nice start to his 450 career. And we'll see where it goes. I think he kind of falls into the same boat as Marvin Muscan, where we're going to go to Indy, and his skill set is going to shine. He's very good at ruddy conditions where you need a lot of finesse. You need a lot of very specific bike skill to maneuver the bike and get in and out of the sections when the track is is much more tricky than say a straightforward, like Anaheim supercross. So watch for him. If he gets a good start at one of these indie rounds, look for him to be a podium contender once again, but again, great start to his 450 career. And I think he solidified any doubt about whether he was going to be able to make it, make it work in this, in this 450 class or not. Adam Cincerello at five. Listen, Adam's a bad dude. Um, he, he had a medical procedure and I've mentioned a couple times now he's had a, he had a medical procedure. It's like three, three and a half weeks before the opening Indy round, or excuse me, the opening Houston round. And 
it was kind of a big question mark for, for me and those who knew about what we were going to see. Um, there's never a doubt about whether Adam is going to find the pace or anything like that, but just kind of expected a, a slower than usual start. And you could argue that we got that. He wasn't all that fast at the first round, like, you know, his qualifying pace or anything didn't jump off the page, which it typically does, but he has slowly gotten better, found himself on the podium this very weekend, solid ride. He wasn't really in contention to win in my opinion, but he still rode really well. I mean, that that's really what you want. If you're Adam Cincerello is, is build those, those building blocks, you know, stacking, stacking building blocks together, and then you build your foundation and then you find yourself in contention to win. Now he's going to get some hole shots. We saw him get the hole shot in the heat race and win. And I think that's when he is the most dangerous because he really likes clean air and that's a NASCAR term, but really it, it just refers to the fact that when he gets out front, he knows what to do with it. So watch for him at one of these rounds as his fitness comes into to view, he gets stronger and stronger and fitter and fitter. His confidence grows. All those things morph together. They all work together. That's the big thing. Uh, you really can't have one without the other. If you're not physically fit yet, it's very hard to be confident because in the back of your mind, you know better than anybody that you really haven't done enough work to be fit and to go battle with the likes of Roxon and Tomac and Barsha for, you know, what 30 laps is what these guys are doing sometimes now, at least 20 minutes plus a lap is, is really what I should be saying. But if you haven't done enough work, you're going to be like, damn, when am I going to get tired? I, I can't go to the pace for that long. That, that's just a very hard thought to get out of your mind. So just keep an eye on Adam. He's going to get better and better. And I think it's coming. I, I really do. I think you're going to see him win one of these and just break out at some point. Number four, Cooper Webb. He was your winner of round three. And interestingly enough, I don't have him in my top three yet. And I think you could make a case for it. I kind of went back and forth on where to put him, but his first few rounds were, man, they just weren't very good. So I struggle to put him ahead of these other three, because if you really look at all three rounds as a whole, he struggled at the first two. I mean, the first round, he was not even close. And he got a little better at the second round. He got a fourth place, not bad, but he really wasn't a factor. I I didn't, you know, he kind of snuck into that fourth place. He wasn't anywhere near the battle for the lead or anything. And then this third round, oh, what do you know? He's got a win already. And obviously there was a lot of drama, which I'm going to, I'm going to wrap this podcast up with by talking about the drama with, with Dean Wilson there. But I think Cooper Webb's finally starting to find find the pace, right? He's, I mean, if you really needed any more evidence of that, I'm sitting here telling you how he hasn't been all that good yet. He's, he's tied for second in points. So maybe I should have him in my top four. I think I'm just weighing that first round so heavily because man, he was just so far off the back, but something's telling me that Cooper Webb's kind of got it together. And these guys are in big trouble as far as here we go, right? Because you look at Indy and the way that track is, the whoops are going to break down, which is definitely what works best for Coop. He wants to be able to jump through the whoops and find a rhythm. And he can just put the same lap in over and over and over and over, really without mistake. And Indy is going to reward that. That soft dirt, ruddy dirt, where you can't really override the track, that is Cooper Webb in a nutshell. So watch for Cooper to really break out when we go to Indy. 
Still have him at fourth, though. He's going to have to prove that. So we'll see where uh, after the fourth round at Indy, we'll see where he ends up on this power list. He could he could rock it to the top. He goes out and wins Indy. I I have no problem putting going from fourth to first. It's my podcast. I get to do what I want. Number three, Eli Tomac. And not a great round for Eli. I didn't see a whole lot to get super excited about, but I have him at three because he won that second round and he's kind of been hanging around. And really this is where you wait that championship from last year. And what I like most is if you've looked at Eli Tomac's career, he has oftentimes dug himself a big hole in January. It just hasn't gone all that well. And you're kind of hemming and hawing about Tomac. And if this is the year and why is he slow and why is his arm, why are his arms pumping up and all that stuff that that's happened time after time in January. And this year he's right there. He's only a few points out of the championship lead. He's kind of hanging around. He's already got a win. And I haven't seen dominating speed really from him yet. I would like to see more, more flash similar to, to Mookie, but for him to be this close to the championship lead in January, I think is a very promising sign. So I have Tomac at three, but to be honest, the top four all kind of walked here all together. Um, it's just going to be a rotating door of those guys until, you know, week to week who performs the best. Number two, I have Justin Barsha. Listen, Barsha could have won the third round. He was hauling, but he crashed coming out of the sand. He lost the front end, ruined his race, but I will give him a lot of credit because he got up. He had Tomac all over him. He was able to quickly recover, get his heart rate down somewhat. And, uh, it's funny, Phil Nicoletti had, uh, Justin Barsha's, uh, I think it's called training peaks is the app that they use. And you can see Justin Barsha's heart rate and all the energy exertion, all that stuff that he had going on during the race and him trying to recover from that crash, just see his heart rate spike and all those things. It's uh, it's really interesting data to look at, but I thought he did a great job of recovering there because it would have been very easy to succumb to, I mean, your, your 2020 Supercross champion, Eli Tomac. There are not many people who can get up from a crash, take off right in front of a guy like Eli Tomac and find a way to not only hold him off, but actually pull back away. So I thought Barsha, even though it wasn't the greatest result ever on paper, I thought it was a very strong ride from him. And if any, if nothing else, just damage control, had he not crashed, I think he could have got in there and, and maybe won that thing. If you look at the way that race played out, the pace slowed a little bit. Roxon let Cooper Webb catch back up to him. If they would have let Barsha get in there, you know Barsha would have gotten super aggressive with those guys. And then it's anybody's anybody's race at that point. But um, anyway, I, I really like what I've seen from Barsha so far. A bit of bad luck at the second round with the gear shifter. He gets stuck in first gear. I think he did a great job to, to do damage control and get – uh, a ninth place out of it. Nice job by him. I mean, it could, it could have been a lot worse than that. So nice job by Barsha. I have him in number two. I think he is firmly in this championship. The real question is, can he, can he keep this level up? Because we've seen him here before we saw him here last year. And then it just kind of slowly deteriorated throughout the end of the series. I think this bike is going to help him. I think it's just more predictable and, and it's, it's a steadier platform for him. It doesn't have the highs and the lows that the Yamaha seem to have for him. Uh, but we'll see. I, I think the next three rounds work out very well for him at Indy too. Um, he rides the, the tacky soft dirt very well. Um, so after six rounds, he may be, you know, back in that, that red plate. 
Number one, of course, Ken Roxon. What a tough beat last night. I, I mean, I don't know how much more last lap pain you can suffer than what we've seen from Ken Roxon. I mean, that's so many times we've seen it go down that way at the hands of Cooper Webb. Nonetheless, you think about Oakland, you think about Arlington. I mean, it just seems to happen time and time again, and it's always seemingly Cooper Webb as well. But this one wasn't necessarily his fault. I mean, you could argue that Roxon's just got to make make an aggressive pass on Dino and get around him. But at the same time, you're trying to stay in the race line. You know you've got Cooper Webb all over you, and a lapped rider is in the race line. That's that's just a really difficult scenario to really put any fault on Kenny. Dino's got to get out of the way there, man. You have to. And I, I know it's tough. I've been in that situation many times. But when someone's screaming at you on the last lap, you can hear the crowd going crazy. And I don't know, in my perspective, you can usually see those guys coming up on you. You know, you're, you're somewhat aware of your surroundings, even if you're locked in. Like he said, he was locked down the guys in front of him. I've been in that. I've been battling with guys in front of me too, but I always knew the leaders were coming. I could see them coming, you know, cause you're always like, if someone catching me is, is one of the, or one of the riders in my battle catching me. No, those are, that's Kenny and, and Webb and these guys, you know, they're not in like 13th place. So you know, they're the leaders, you know, they're catching and you've got to know when they're on you and you have to get out of the way. Even if you just take the less lesser of the, of the good lines, right? That's fine but you can't stay in the main inside line all the way around the racetrack. And that's really where I find the fault with, with Dean there is if you look at his line choice, like from the finish line jump over the little hip jump before the whoops through the whoops into that next berm into the next tight inside line, you hit the wall jump. There's two doubles in a row and then a hard right turn, which is the first turn. If you go back and watch it all the way through those sections, he takes the race line all the way through. He never moves out of the race line, not one time. And when that happens, you have to blame the guy that's not moving. You have to blame Dean in that scenario for not moving because everyone knows you don't have to do anything drastic. You just can't be in the race line. Can't do it. You got to get out of the race line. At least let the leaders have the preferred line. So that's where I come down on it. Um, Dean, to his credit, he blamed himself. He knew he screwed up, and he immediately apologized. Um, unfortunately, man, that that's a really tough blow for Kenny. And you know, apologies are great, but they don't they don't fix anything, right? The what's done is done, and uh, Kenny paid a pretty hefty price there for something that was, in my opinion, completely avoidable. Uh, but that's your power rankings. Ken Roxon leading the way. Ken Roxon is your red plate holder, even with all the drama, right? Tough night for him. He lost points. Uh, he was penalized for points at round two. Then he loses more points at the hands of Dean Wilson and his own doing, right? You could argue that if, if Kenny had pulled a bigger lead on that last lap, it wouldn't have mattered. I get all that. Uh, I still think that really came down to, you know, Dean's mistake there. But that's points that... Um, Kenny's left on the table and he, he commented on Dean's post, basically saying that he's like, man, look at it from my perspective. I just got penalized. Now I lose more points. That's a really tough blow back to back. And, and I think Kenny's actions were warranted. You know, he's yelling at Dean and kind of out in the middle of the track. I'm just glad it wasn't me. (laughs) My reaction would have been much worse. I would have been just beside myself, 
having lost a race that way. But I thought Kenny handled it as about as well as you could ask for. I mean, he was, he was really calm for what it could have been, right? He could have really acted a fool there, but he stayed calm. He yelled a little bit, but he, I mean, he went over and shook Cooper Webb's hand after the race. He didn't freak out on the podium. Um, he even mentioned in his, his post-race comments that he's been really working on patience and trying to, trying to stay calm in the moment and try to just take things as they come and, and control what you can control. And that's, that's a big thing. Um, there's going to be a lot of things in life that you have no say over. There's nothing you can do, but this was one where, um, yeah, just completely out of control, his control and, and things happen sometimes in a race. So that's it for this week. Thanks everybody for listening. I will be in Boise this week and then head to Indy for another nine day trip or something. So that'll be fun. Be bringing industry seating to you next Sunday from Indianapolis. For any of you who are interested, I do a Patreon podcast every race day morning. So I will do Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday while in Indy. And it basically just talks about what I expect to see that day. Has some fantasy advice, has last minute rumors, things that maybe we missed on a show just because it, you know, things happen in between the time of the last show we do and that race day morning. So if you're interested, you can go to patreon.com slash industry seating and check that out. Or you can email me and ask more about it, but it is a little bit different show and just kind of last minute advice that I give and last minute rumors, gossip, all that kind of stuff. So check that out. Patreon.com slash industry seating. Do want to thank the sponsors of this podcast. Of course, Pirelli tires, Plum Creek funding, Blenzo oils, Risk Racing, Fast Foundry, Guts Racing, Work Connection, Premier Vapor Blasting, 612 Suspension, Pro Glow Wash, Grant Stone Boots, and Fly Racing. Go to flyracing.com. Check out more about the Formula Helmet. Thanks, and we will see you next week.